0: why is this game so important to georgia well you put so much into the game you know it's like if you can't enjoy these moments why do we do it you know if i can't embrace my family and hug them and love it and see the fans that stuck around for it that's what it's all about to me i mean like that's i had a coach a long time ago tell me if you can't enjoy those moments then then why are you in the business and the players you know they work hard guys they 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 practice so many times a week for this one game yeah i want them to enjoy it i want them to see the emotion uh, but it, it doesn't matter to me that it's Florida. It matters to me that it's our
1: team and, and they won. Here, here's the deal. As you start slipping, right, the rope's slipping right now. You know, you, you go in a little rope pull. Uh, and it really pertains to everything. It pertains to individual games. At times, I think we play really well. The rope slips and we kind of let a lot of it go. Uh, and against good teams, you can't do that. As the rope slips through your hands, you can just let it either drop it That ain't the answer. That's not gonna fix anything, okay? You're gonna feel that burn, and you cannot squeeze that tight because of the burn, and that's not gonna fix anything. Or you just grab tight. You hold on, you dig your heels in, and you start pulling in the other direction. And I will say something about me. I don't drop the rope. I'm not gonna let you even rip it out of my hands. You could drag me around by my face if you want, but I ain't gonna let it squeeze it and let it go. I'm not gonna let any inch
2: of that rope go, and I know our players won't either. Just how much have you seen him Grow from that point, the first game he's played in to tonight, whenever he's breaks the SEC record for a completion percentage over thirty plus attempts.
3: Oh, he did, huh? Yeah. I'm good. That's what really good coaches do. They they look at the personnel, and that's something that we've had to do as we learn this team early in the season, you know, where do we put the guys? What's the best fit? What's the best routes? What are the best things that that we can do as a staff to put these guys in a a situation they could be successful and coach bobo has done a good job of that uh, tyler uh,
2: tyler baby, a little bit there he went for 294 yards today um, um yeah i guess he did go 294 i mean he's a great player i've been saying it for a long time he's probably the best player that nobody's talking about you know he's really the engine that drives us he's a competitor and showed it tonight
4: oh welcome in the latest episode of that sec podcast i'm your host michael Breton I go by SEC Mike on Twitter and fly in solo for this episode, but I got a terrific guest lined up. We got Robert Barons of Good Bull Hunting on the show to break down this Texas A&M Auburn game. I also asked him some insight on the future of the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher and where all that's at. So really good conversation here with Robert. I think uh, all Aggies will really appreciate that, especially considering they got the big game this week hosting the Auburn Tigers. But before we get to our interview with Robert, as always, got some news around the league. So, hey, let's start here with the hottest topic, of course, Dan Bullen down there in Gainesville and on the uh, SEC teleconference here on Wednesday. He was asked, he opened the thing without even being asked about it. He opened his teleconference. And remember, this is only the second media availability at least publicly, that he has given uh, since he shut down the program and his Monday press conference. This is only his other, only other appearance before the South Carolina game, and he opened it with a message to Gator Nation.
1: Yeah, thank you. The uh, first, I'd like to touch on something for all the Gator Nation, uh, all our great fans of something that was taken out of context in Monday's press conference. Uh, as it pertains to recruiting, our, our staff recruits nonstop. We grind at recruiting all every day. We're always recruiting uh, and and working the best to get great players that fit the Gator standard and bring them here to our program. Uh, and as I said um, on Monday, we just weren't going to get into the specifics of everything we do in recruiting uh, and how we do all of that until after this season. Uh, also, uh, uh, there were some people that were concerned about – um. um our player availability and on monday uh, morning. we had a, an eight o'clock team meeting at our eight o'clock team meeting. Uh, we had a great meeting with the team about the energy, the excitement of our players going into this final third of the season and the focus of which we have to take and the approach we need to take in the final third of the season. And uh, I felt that the, the best for our players was to make sure our focus is completely on the work that we have to do in the final third of the season. And as everybody knows, I've so because of that, I've made myself available for media every single day this week, uh, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and, uh, uh, because we didn't have the players available. So I just wanted to clarify some of those things that apparently uh, have been taken way out of context over the last several days. Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm just curious how Emory responded to his role this past Saturday, as well as how he's preparing for this week with Anthony Richardson not having practice. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, one of the things you see about Emory is, and I think, I mean, I, as I've said a, a long time, well, I've known, maybe not everybody sees it because they're not around him all the time. You know, his character, his work ethic, his demeanor is unbelievable. And it goes back to, um, you know, Anthony started playing really well against uh, LSU. Uh, he got banged up, had to come out of the game. Emory steps right in without a uh, without, – uh, Uh, Missing a beat on, I mean, as hard a situation, hey, roll into the game on a third down and 12, bang, converts it. Uh, You look at Saturday, and very easily, uh, you know, as a young guy, you could sit there and say, hey, uh, this is not exactly the situation that that I was hoping to be in right now. Uh, That wasn't his case at all. We had a discussion. He said, Coach, I'm 100% all in. I'm ready to go. I'm prepared. You point at me to get in that game. I'll go execute and play. I'm ready to go. Uh, and he came in the game, and I thought he played really well on Saturday. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's why I have so much respect for Emory and within his preparation. And, you know, I think he learned that from the other quarterbacks that were here prior to him is, you know, come in with an unbelievable attitude, ready to prepare to do your best at any moment, whatever the situation is. i got to prepare for that situation and be ready to be my best. And it just shows, you know, his character and the type of young man that he is, uh, that he was prepared for that moment.
4: All right, so some pretty strong comments there from Dan Mullen. I don't know why he couldn't have basically said this on Monday. It's what he should have done. Kind of avoided a lot of bad press, but it is what it is. He's trying to control the message down there, and uh, I say the only public media availability because after his press conference that went viral, Coach Mullen did meet with Edgar Thompson of the Orlando Sentinel for a sit-down interview, and I encourage, if you haven't seen it, you're a Gator fan and really all SEC fans because they want to know what's going on down there in Gainesville, go check that out. But some interesting nuggets in there, uh, specifically Dan Bullen references that uh, he's under no pressure at all. His relationship's great with the AD, Scott Strickland. So some really good stuff there by Edgar Thompson. And also another little nugget there from Edgar, apparently Anthony Richardson did have a concussion suffered that against Georgia, so it's kind of up in the air whether Richardson is going to be able to play at South Carolina. Big game here. It's going to be about, I think, around 39 degrees I saw for the night game there. The Gators obviously not used to that type of temperature, so we'll see if that plays a factor in the matchup. But, you know, skipping to the other side of that, going down to Columbia – I've seen a lot of negativity, and I understand it. I mean, your team's not where you want to be. You're getting blown out by Georgia and Texas A&M. But if we're looking at it realistically, those are two of the better teams, not only in the SEC, but the entire country. And your season's not lost yet. I mean, you got several winnable games here trying to get you to a bowl game. You're going to need to pull an upset or two. And like I said uh, on a previous show, I mean, this matchup with Florida now it looks like maybe even Anthony Richardson may miss the game. How is uh, Emory Jones going to respond to if he is the starting quarterback for the Gators? Being benched, now being thrust in the lineup, where is Where's he at? Because confidence has always been an issue for him. He's turning the ball over left and right this season for the Gators. South Carolina, that's one thing. Uh, I believe Jalen Simpson leads the SEC in interceptions. So uh, the defense certainly could force some turnovers that will keep them in the game. And that is something that Shane Beamer kind of hit on. You know, th- this is not unique to this week by any means, but uh, he's been expressing this all season, trying to get the fans to commit to coming to the games, be a difference. And like I said, I know things are, are not where you want it right now in Columbia, but Hey, all it's going to take is a win right here against Florida. Turn that tide around, get you another conference win and Shane Beamer is also asked about recruiting and I just think it's funny the 180 you get from Dan Bullen to Shane Beamer so uh, let's kick it over to him.
2: Uh, Going to need a great environment in there on Saturday night. Uh, we've played in some hostile environments uh, on the road this season ourselves when the first SEC away game and in really every SEC away game that we've played. That's what you expect in the SEC. We've played in front of hostile, loud, packed, sold out uh, stadiums uh, every week that we've been on the road this year in the SEC. And uh, uh, we will need that from our fans on Saturday night uh, as well. Um, And we know what a great fan base we have here. And we've got three out of our last four games at home, two SEC games and our in-state rival. Saturday night, primetime television. If you can't get excited for that, I can't help you guys. I mean, it's going to be an unbelievable environment, an unbelievable atmosphere. Our players are practicing their butts off right now. And uh, we certainly appreciate our fan base and the, the home field advantage that they create in williams Bryce Stadium. Our guys are excited. Can't wait to get out there on Saturday night. Our coaches can't wait to get out there on Saturday night and uh, I hope our fans can't wait to get out there on Saturday night and we can have a packed williams Bryce Stadium because that's what these young men in this program deserve. Shane, uh, you touched on recruiting and being able to get it back out on the road. I mean, just obviously it changes a little bit as a head coach with what you're doing, but I guess what do you see as your philosophy as being a head coach and recruiting, you know, balancing the calendar of it all in season, out of season, and <laughs> how do you kind of take to it? <laughs> um, good question. I don't feel that like I might get one of those. Um No, I mean, it's every day. Uh, You know, I think maybe in the old days you could say uh, not do much, focus on your football team, and then all of a sudden you get out on the road recruiting in December and January. And uh, that's kind of when you start recruiting, and that's not the way it is. I mean, you've got to do it 365 days a year. I mean, I was, quote, unquote, you know, I kidded somebody the other night. The sometimes to me the bye weeks in college football are busier than the than the game weeks because last week we practiced on Monday morning and I was on a plane and out recruiting Monday afternoon. You know, we practiced Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I was gone all day Thursday, all day Friday. Got back late Friday night. Saturday was off, but. I think during the day on Saturday. I mean, I spent a lot of the afternoon with the family and being a fan like you guys, but talked to a lot of recruits on the phone as well. So um, it's every day, whether it be texting, FaceTiming, uh, talking to high school coaches. It's it's nonstop, and, and certainly as the head coach, I've got to set the direction. I've got to set the 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 example, you know, for everyone. So we spend a lot of time on it. You know, I'd probably probably I don't know how much the the staff liked me back in January and February and March, because we were up here pretty much every night till late, just doing virtual visits and Zoom calls and things like that with with recruits. But it's great. And I mean, you've, you've got up, Kirby said it after his game the other day, just about recruiting and the importance of it. And I learned that from him in my two years in Athens. Not that, you know, I didn't know it already, going back to Philip Fulmer at the University of Tennessee and the importance he put on recruiting when I was a graduate assistant there and, and seeing that from him. And, and uh, you got to have great players. And we've got a great place to recruit to here at South Carolina. And, and it was exciting to be able to get on the road last week and, and talk, to, uh, talk to high school coaches about
4: that. One other reason this game is so important, and I don't buy into the fact that any recruit is going to pick a school because of one football game. And I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen with South Carolina and Florida. But as I'm sitting here recording this, South Carolina's got the number 21 recruiting class in the country. Florida's got number 22. So the Gamecocks are out. Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks are out recruiting Dan Mullen and the Gators in year one where year four down there in Gainesville. There's a lot of momentum that can be gained on the recruiting trail aside from the SEC standings and and right in the ship of uh, the season there for the Gamecocks. A lot to be gained, I think, from this matchup. Uh, you better believe the Gamecocks are going to be selling to recruits the fact that uh, they are past Florida in year four if they can take them down here Saturday night, Williams Bryce. And a lot of these games historically have been very, very close uh, between these two. So I know South Carolina may seem like they're down. Don't know who the quarterback is, but Florida's in a rut right now. They just got whooped by the Georgia Bulldogs. Something. Basically, the rest of the country knows all about it. Anybody that's faced Georgia knows all about getting whooped by the Bulldogs. But this is a real opportunity, I think, for South Carolina. It's got to start, of course, with this offense. And uh, that's something Shane Beamer also tackled, asked about uh, the quarterback situation here on the SEC teleconference. And then uh, we also had Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator. I know he's not a popular name. He met with the media here on Wednesday as well. We're going to kick over to his comments here. Hey Shane, uh, how
2: does uh, Zeb look at practice today? And is uh, you know getting close to naming a starter for Saturday? Uh, I'm not going to name a starter before Saturday. I don't know if that gives us any benefit at all. Uh, Zeb looked good in practice today. Continues to progress, but I just don't see any advantage uh, really in this situation. We'll continue to compete and continue continue to see how these guys progress during the week. And like I've said all along. Uh, We've got confidence in, in all of our quarterbacks, whether it's Zeb, whether it's Jason, whether it's the carry-on joiner, whether it's Connor Jordan, whoever's out there. Heck, we used Omega Blake yesterday to simulate Emory Jones, and, and he looked pretty good playing quarterback. But Zeb looked Thanks. good. Marcus, we hear all the time, you know, sometimes when a, when a guy comes from from the NFL here, you know, complex. And, uh, you know, obviously when you look at it, and Coach Beamer talked about this past week and – it's easy to look at and say, okay, it's because it's a pro system, but what are some of the things that does make it a challenge maybe, but when you do bring a pro style offense in, and I know they use
3: a pro style a little bit last year with Bobo, but some of the challenges for some of these players. Um, Trying to answer this. I, I, I hate listening to coaches that talk and give you these same, you know, I'm trying to give you an honest answer. There's nothing that we're doing, especially from a run game standpoint that, I mean, I've coached at the FCS level, we did the same thing. I've, I've, my dad was a high school coach, he did the same thing. I mean, it's it's basic football. You know, it's block the guy you're supposed to block, teach the guy how to block the guy that he's supposed to block when you're looking at it from my shoes. So I don't think it's complex by any stretch of the imagination. I think, you know, where I have to take a look at myself is not the complexity, but what I'm asking them to do. Like, okay, you're a certain athletic skill set or body type Maybe you you're not a I'm gonna make this up. You're not a wide zone team. Maybe you're a, a tight zone team or maybe you're a gap scheme team. And so that's what we, you know, each week we just keep trying to find like what is the what is the the run that's gonna allow us to, you know, take a breath and have some success. But we are working tirelessly at it. But I don't I really don't think it's complexity. I think it's just we had to just keep plugging away. And I know that's that makes you want to gouge your eyes out when you hear that, but we just had to keep plugging away and had to keep working and eventually it'll click and we'll have some success. So I don't want to beat a dead
4: horse or anything, but you can kind of hear it there from Marcus Satterfield. And you know, when I heard him say what he's saying here, the offense not too complex, just they're still trying to learn the players. It's exactly the same message that you're getting from Brian Harson down there at Auburn. And the irony is not lost on me, the fact that Harson hired Mike Bobo. And obviously you're getting a veteran. Mike Bobo, been in the SEC, what, a, a decade plus as a as a coach. He's played in the SEC, and he hired Derek Mason. So we got Brian Harson who, seeing his first year in the SEC, what did he do? He went out and got him two coordinators that know the league – and know the opponents they're going to be facing on a weekly basis. Whereas in Columbia, they're facing the same challenges, but obviously they're not meeting them. And it is what it is. I mean, we can, uh, you know, rehash what happened in the offseason. I'm not trying to do that. But this is the danger you get when you hire a first-year head coach and an offensive coordinator that, you know, he's got, I th- what was it, FCS experience and – some minimal NFL experience, but just not ready for this type of football. Not not at the highest level of college football. That's what we're seeing. And that, I appreciate the fact that Satterfield's trying to be as transparent as possible here. But it's clear he's struggling to do what they're doing on the planes. And it's showcasing itself on the field. But, hey, they've had a couple weeks to prepare. They're coming off a bye. Maybe they correct the ship here against a Florida team that's banged up. And, hell, if they do it, a lot of these questions go away overnight. So that's going to be the challenge this week in Columbia. All right, next let's kick it down to Fayetteville with the Razorbacks. Again, we kind of previewed it on the last episode. Huge game with Mississippi State coming to town this weekend. But before we get to uh, Sam Pittman's latest comments here, great news for the Razorbacks on the recruiting trail because four-star receiver Isaiah I'm sure I butchered that, Dave. Right before I hopped on the show here, he committed to the Arkansas Razorbacks. Again, a four-star receiver, number one overall prospect from the state of Arkansas, had been committed to Oregon. I believe he was previously committed to Texas A&M as well. So huge pickup for the Razorbacks. Receiver, position of need with, uh, you know, Traylon Burks more than likely going off to the NFL. We've got some more comments on him in just a moment here, but... You know, this is great. We're only six weeks away from the early signing period here, and the Razorbacks getting a nice boost on the recruiting trail, getting them another four-star prospect. Great day for Sam Pittman and company. But speaking of Sam Pittman, he has announced that uh, looks like Dominique Johnson is going to start at running back now. Especially at running back, that is, doesn't really matter. You could start the game and take one snap and then not see the field again. I certainly don't think that's going to be the case. Because uh, that's something that we've been hitting at. Dominique Johnson needs the ball more. He that's something Sam Pittman's been saying time and time again. Certainly looks like they're going to try to get him the ball at least fifteen times. And keep in mind, this is a guy that's only carried the ball thirty-nine times this entire season. So that's something Sam Pittman hit on, as well as uh, some really good comments here on Traylon Burks. Coach, uh, I know
3: you've
0: talked about Dominic Johnson getting more carries and more touches and stuff, he's, and he's obviously earned it, but do you have like a, a number in mind of how many carries you'd like, 15, 20? Well, yeah, I th- you know, depending on how things are going, you know, you'd like to, he's a big back. He's a guy that can wear you down. Um, so I, I think that 15 range – Um, is probably about right, uh, knowing that we have still three other backs, but uh, he's earned the right to start, of course, and and, uh, we're anticipating him have another good game, even though we know how talented uh, and how good Mississippi State's uh, done this year against the run, but uh, he's a big back that's, that's proven himself, and he's earned it, and that's what we need to do with him, and I think that number of 15... Uh, probably closer to minimum than maximum would be a good start for him. Uh, Hey, Sam, you you talked about uh, Traylon Burks the other day, that he uh, got a nice rest during the open date physically and looked pretty good uh, the other day. How's he looked in practice this weekend? Do you get a sense he's really kind of refreshed physically? I do. I mean, I think he's looked um, really good. We're still limiting some of his reps um, to this point. And we, he basically didn't do anything the week before. Um, You know, you talk about injuries and sometimes I address them. Sometimes I don't. There's a lot of different reasons for that, you know, um, opponents. I don't want to hurt the kid in the draft. Uh, You know, there's a lot of reasons that you don't comment uh, on, on injuries. However, I think he's, back healthy now and ready to go. And I think he'll be just fine. And w- what have you thought of his season to date? And is, can he play better? I mean, is there anything more he can do this last few games he hadn't already done? I think he can play better because we can get him the ball more. I think, you know, I think, uh, I don't know that he can play better than what he has with the limited amount of touches that he's had. I think we'd have to get the ball more to him and, uh, and let him show his dynamic skills, and uh, that's. I think I think he needs to run the ball a little bit more than what he has, and we need to throw some screens to him a little bit more than what we have and things of that nature because we know he can go down the field and catch a one-on-one uh, contested ball, but there's easier ways to get him the ball than that, and we've got to find those ways, and I think we we have those in for the game plan.
4: So reading between the lines here, I think it's safe to say you know, this is the last four games we're going to see trail on Burks aside from the bowl in an Arkansas uniform. And I don't think that's breaking news or anything. And I don't think Sam Pittman is necessarily trying to say that here, but you know, I think he's already referencing NFL when it talking about Burks, uh, Burks is, I mean, you got to think he's going to be a lock to be a first round pick. He's being asked about the NFL, Already this season, I've seen at least once or twice. So, but I just think it's interesting that uh, you know, Sam Pittman really wants to get him the ball more. And of course, that's easier said than done. It's on Kendall Browse and KJ Jefferson to make it happen on the field. But it's almost like we got four more games here. This is your final opportunity to show the NFL what you can do, carry us to some of these victories. And again, we don't want to go too pass happy. That's something that I hit on on the last episode. We want to run the ball. With Dominique Johnson and AJ Green and Traylon Smith, KJ Jefferson, we've got a stable of running backs here in Fayetteville. So it's not that they're going to go pass heavy, but you know when they do go to the air, they got to get it to Burks more because he's just dominant, dominant, dominant player. And they've rested him up for a couple weeks now. Now is his time to shine. They're going to need him against Mississippi State. They're going to need him against Alabama and LSU and Missouri. Go out there, put it on the tape, and uh, you know, prove your value to the next level. And I, I think that's kind of what Sam Pittman's hitting at here. But uh, you know, if that's the game plan, watch out. I think the Arkansas Razorbacks could end this season on an extremely high note. All right, last little nugget here before we get to our uh, interview with Robert Barons. Just thought this was pretty interesting. Ole Miss, of course, hosting Liberty and Hugh Freeze and all that's going on with that this week. But uh, on the SEC Coaches Teleconference, Kiffin says nine of their 11 starters on offense not practicing. And it sounds like several of these guys in danger of not being able to play against Liberty. And all of a sudden, This could be a sneaky good game here on Saturday. So let's kick it over to Kiffin.
5: Well, we're excited to come back home. Uh, Matchup versus a team that's been very successful. One of the best records over the last two seasons. So we'll have our hands full. Um, As well noted, very injured group, especially offensively. Um, You know, just said never seen anything like this. So, you know, It does present a good challenge for us in game planning and calling plays during games. Um, You know, we practiced, you know, looked around and practiced with two of the 11 starters that started the opener, um, a number of which are out um, for a while or for the season. So that is very strange on one side of the ball. So it is what it is. You know, we've got to overcome those challenges and find a way to win. Elaine, you kind of addressed
1: uh, my question is that you had never seen anything like this before on one side of the football in particular. But, you know, do you you start to try to maybe kind of simple things down to get some of these younger kids on the field in a position Um... to be
3: successful?
5: yeah we're having to um obviously, I mean two of eleven starters is just unheard of. I mean, you don't usually lose nine starters from season to season in the off season you, know, you usually return more starters than that, so uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna um simplify things, try to play some younger players um, you know because obviously three points in the second half isn't gonna get a isn't going to get it done last week. Uh, we didn't do a good job. We were very overmatched um, at a number of spots, and we have to find a way to overcome that. That's what coaching is.
6: I know you're not going to give specific names, but of the nine guys who are out, how many of them are
1: people you think might be able to play through it?
5: Two to three. Okay.
4: All right, so, so just something to keep in mind. I mean, Ole Miss just lost a game. They were red hot, couldn't get it done there in the second half against the Auburn Tigers in a tough environment. Now they're coming home for a noon game. You know, Hugh Freeze is going to want this one. He's apparently got a really good quarterback in Marcus, uh, what's his name, Willis, former Auburn quarterback. So, I don't know, just something to think about here. And certainly if Matt Corral is one of these unnamed offensive players that banged up, could be real trouble for Ole Miss trying to beat Hugh Freeze in his in his return to Ole Miss. I uh, I don't think this game is getting enough publicity, and Kiffin's comments is just adds a little fuel to the fire of uh, just how in much anticipation there is around this game here in Oxford this weekend. All right, so that's all we got around the league. Let's kick it over to our interview with Robert Barnes. Well, we're pleased to now be joined by Robert Behrens. He's the managing editor over at uh, goodbullhunting.com. That's, of course, the Texas AM SB Nation site. And you got to give him a follow, not only for your Texas AM content, but your Texas trolling content over at uh, RCB05 on Twitter. Robert, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you. Absolutely, man. Glad to be here. Now, I got to ask you before we get into the Aggies. You know the last game they they won in dominant fashion here against South Carolina. Did you get more pleasure from the big win over the Gamecocks or the saga of the pole assassin? I mean, wh- which one brought uh, a bigger smile to your face? Um, I'm still going to have to say the win will always trump anything else, but
6: as far as this like Twitter shenanigans, I think, I think the pole assassin story was way more fun. Um, because, <laughs> because that just keeps getting better and better. You know, the, the uh, the South line game that was kind of over by halftime and you just were able to move along and enjoy the rest of your evening. But yeah, this, this whole monkey biting scenario <laughs> is just gets more interesting by the day.
4: <laughs> hey, that's Texas longhorns for you right there. But, uh, no, seriously, what I really wanted to have you on, we could go on and on about uh, all the monkeys and everything like that, but I got to ask you because I keep every call that uh, I'm on with, you know, the, the SEC coaches' teleconference, Jimbo's press conference, even seen it in Brian Harson's press conference. This is asked every single time, the fact that Auburn wins every time they're in College Station. So let me ask you as a, a longtime follower of the A&M program, Why is it that you think that uh, Texas A&M has just fallen short each time they've played Auburn there in College Station? I mean, it's
6: been a weird series no matter where it's been. Um, Because, in fact, since A&M joined the SEC, Auburn's only won one time at uh, Jordan-Hare back in in 2018 in Jimbo's first year. Um, So, on both sides, you've had a lot of struggles as far as the home team holding up their end of the bargain. Um, and I mean, you can't really point to one thing cause there's been, there's been close games. There's been games that have been, you know, blowouts on both sides of the ball. And I think it's kind of just, just one of those fluke happenings that I don't think there's any one reason you can point to and say, that's why it's happening. Um, but for AM in general, uh, I think one of the things that fans have really loved about the Jimbo Fisher era among many things, um, is the fact that Jimbo, for the most part, he takes care of business at home, and that was something Kevin, someone, especially struggled with, especially in the SEC. Um, so Jimbo has had some huge wins at home. For the most part, he's taking care of business at home. He's obviously, you know, he beat a 10, 10 win Kentucky team at Kyle Field. He beat a ten win top ten LSU at at Kyle field in that seven overtime game in 2018 Mm -hmm. last season took down a top five, Florida at home. Of course, just a few weeks ago took down number one, Alabama at Kyle field. So I think people feel like that, that home field advantage that the 12th man theoretically should have always been providing feels like it's being reestablished. Uh, and so we're certainly, certainly hoping, hoping that that continues. And we can get that first, uh, First win over Auburn at Kyle Field and
4: get the monkey off the bar last week. <laughs> nice. No, I see what you did there. Uh, but <coughs> Saturday's game is going to feature a ton of great running backs here. Four of the SEC's top ten rushers, in fact, will be playing on Kyle Field here on Saturday. Isaiah Spiller, he's number three. Tank Bigsby, he's number five. Devon Achain number seven. And Jarquez Hunter, number eight. So two for A&M, two for Auburn. Uh, which team do you think will uh, be more dominant and enforce their will more Saturday, just specifically on the ground game here?
6: Man, it's it's tough to say. Um, because you look at the team's stats, especially with what they've done against Power 5 competition, mm-hmm. and it's darn near a dead heat. Um you know, AM, I think, may hold a slight advantage just if you're looking at the stats only. Um, but like you said, I think both teams like to run the ball. Both teams have some really great running backs to hand the ball off to. Um, and I think it will be whoever can establish the run is going to have a great chance to win the game. I lean toward AM, um, you know, obviously partially because I'm a big AM homer, but, uh, but I also think that AM's offensive line has really started to gel we saw that that was one of the big question marks early on for A&M it's it's a big reason why they struggled in that first month of the season including those losses against uh, Arkansas and Mississippi State because they just they couldn't protect the quarterback they couldn't open up holes in the running game mm-hmm. and and that that all changed here just a few weeks ago um not just because of the competition because they also were able to do those things against Alabama so I think A&M will be able to have success even against, you know, what is a strong Auburn defense. Um, And as good as that Auburn defense is, I think the A&M defense is even a little bit better. Uh, And so I think that A&M defense is going to be something that's going to be a huge difference maker if they can keep playing the way they've been playing the past few Saturdays.
4: So who do you think has the edge when you're talking about Texas A&M's defense against Bo Nix, who's been heating up, But, uh, you know, during his time there at Auburn, he has struggled on the road, and certainly Kyle Field is going to be very hostile to him on Saturday. But uh, who do you you give the edge to there? Um, Hey, you know what? If A&M
6: defense can keep Bryce Young under control, I think they're going to be able to handle Bo Nix. You know, certainly he's a guy that he's he's given us some trouble in the past, just as he is a lot of different teams. But uh, you kind of, you know, you get the good and the bad with Bo, and, so you hope that maybe while he may escape the pocket, he may make some incredible plays. Maybe he'll hand you an easy turnover or two along the way. Um, but with the talent that A&M has on that defense, along with uh, what Mike Elko brings to the table as a defensive coordinator, I mean he is he doesn't let us down very often. So I think that A&M defense is up for the challenge.
4: Mm-hmm. Now, how far do you think the Aggies can go with uh, Zach Calzado under center? Because you know, one player as important as a quarterback position is, is, is never going to, you know, he's not the reason you lose games by any means, but, you know, I certainly think you, you go back to Arkansas. I think a lot of fault with Zach Calzada, why A&M lost that game, but then you can flip the script and say there's no chance that A&M beats Alabama if not for Zach Calzada's heroics in that game. So, you know what's the ceiling with this team with uh, Zach Calzada under center? Do you think? Um, I mean, I think the ceiling is still high. Um,
6: Calzada has certainly shown to be a little bit inconsistent in his play, mm-hmm. and as, as you alluded to, um, but I think one of the biggest things for him goes back to what I talked about with that offensive line play, and because in a lot of ways, when he has gotten time, when he's gotten protection in the pocket, he's obviously just like anybody played much, much better. Um, But if you look at the stats with him, even more so than just the norm, um, he's so much better with a clean pocket than he is under pressure. Like it's, you know, the the differences in stats is just astronomical. So I think as much as it's about Calzada, it's just as much about that offensive line where if they can protect him, uh, then that he can still play well. And, I think the biggest thing is because A. M. is so talented across the board. Everywhere else, as long as they're getting an average to good performance out of Carlos I think they can they can beat everybody left on their regular season schedule if if he's playing up to his potential.
4: And do you think he gets enough credit? Because I don't think he does personally for the fact that uh, when Jimbo, from what I remember, it was relatively early during fall camp. I think it was about a week, maybe a week and a half in. He named Hayden's King the starter. Does Calzada get enough credit for not hitting the transfer portal and leaving? Because, you know, that's just the era we're in in college football right now. And, I, I mean, the Aggies, I I hate to think about where they'd be if they didn't even have Calzada on the roster at, right now. Oh,
6: yeah. Um, because if, if Zach wasn't here, A&M would be looking at either starting a true freshman quarterback who, you know, who spent the entire fall camp at tight end and is is still taking snaps at tight end, uh, or a true freshman walk on. Uh, so Ainem, yeah. You know, as much as Calzada has struggled at times and has been up and down, uh, and as much criticism as he took over, you know, those several weeks where Ainem really struggled, you're absolutely right. Ainem would be just up a creek if he wasn't here. Uh, and and I think that that's a testament to him and that he did stick around. And I think we're all <laughs> thanking our lucky stars that he did uh, because as much as the transfer portal is a reality and, you know, and I, and all about encouraging guys to go and like, you know, somewhere where you can play because you're only in college for so long. You only have so many years of playing football. So, you know, don't just ride the bench out of loyalty. Um, but this is a good example of that sometimes staying where you are, is the best way to go because you're only one play away from being the guy again.
4: Now, is there any, I don't want to call it unease. Cause I think Jimbo Fisher has gone about this perfectly. He's saying all the right things and I'm not questioning him at all, but is there any nervousness at all in college station, given the fact that the, uh, the LSU job is open and uh, because the way I view it, I think Jimbo could be a legend if he stays at A&M and, he f- and fulfills all the you know hope and promise and wins the SEC and, and hopefully a national championship, whereas if he were to leave to go to LSU and win the national championship, I don't think he's getting any of those accolades because it, it just seems like whoever they got down there, they, they're a pretty solid program. So what are your thoughts on that?
6: I mean, I think you're absolutely right that at LSU – I mean, it, they are set up for success. There's a reason that each of their past three head coaches has won a national title, and that's because, I mean, they've got they've got the the culture, they've got the recruiting because they can just lock down the state of Louisiana. So, you know, you can't argue that that's a place where he could go and he could probably win. Um, that said, I think you're right that he has spent the past four years building this program in College Station to the point that it really is, I would say, on on par with LSU as far as the potential and, you know, that short term, like next five years of what they could do. Um, so personally, I'm not worried about it. And another reason that I'm not really worried about it is you go back to Scott Woodward when he was at A&M and he was the one that brought Jimbo to college station when he was the athletic director here. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking to Jimbo weeks and months before Kevin, someone ever got fired. He pretty much already had his deal in place with Jimbo you know, months before it got officially announced. So then you fast forward to now, you know, you go into the year, with Coach O, is he already being a little bit warm? Scott Wood- Woodward being at LSU. And isn't it just a little bit coincidental that in August, Jimbo seemingly out of nowhere gets a huge raise and a huge contract extension from A&M. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that LSU reached out back in July, back in August and, Jimbo parlayed that into securing his future even more at A&M, and I think that door is closed. But, I mean, that's pure speculation. I don't know any details on that. But it just – it sure does seem like the timing is very convenient.
4: Mm -hmm. Now, uh, how confident are you that Jimbo will deliver on all this promise because the way he's recruiting and the way the team has been playing last season especially, and I know they went through a little lull in the middle of this year, but the way they're playing now – certainly looks like an SEC championship is in their future and, and hopefully a college football playoff appearance. Uh, what's your confidence level that he'll raise the program to that to those heights? Um, you know, it,
6: it's never a sure thing. It's, it's really difficult to take a program that has not been a blue blood, that has not been a perennial contender, and raise him to that status. And You know, you'd say over the past 20, 30 years, it's maybe only Clemson, that's really like done it successfully at that level, at that national title level. So it's not easy, um, and a And M has not been a program that has been that uh, prior to Jimbo's arrival. So the odds may still be against it, but at the same time, you look at you know not only just what he's done on the field, but um, at the recruiting classes, he's the past three recruiting classes under Jimbo are the top three rated recruiting classes in AM's history. So they have literally never recruited on the level that they are currently. Um, you know, they've really never even had the coaching stability they've had currently where you have, this is his fourth year, not just under Jimbo, but with both coordinators still returning. Um, so I think he's certainly building. He certainly has a on the right trajectory and, and that's all you can hope for. You hope that you build things and you, you know, do it the right way and, at some point you just need a little bit of luck and I mean, you just hope that you get all the pieces in place and then you get a couple of breaks along the way. And that's what we're hoping for.
4: All right. Last question for you, Robert. I appreciate all the time you've given me here, but, um, obviously Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC and this may be a little bit more of an off season type question, but, uh, how do you want to see that play out? I know that was a hot topic a couple of months ago and, Would you be on board with Texas and Texas A&M playing every season?
6: To me, if we're in the same conference as Texas again, it would be a shame if we weren't playing them every single year. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was always of the opinion that while I did, I was in favor of A&M leaving the Big 12. I was in favor of A&M, you know, going to the SEC and kind of having their own identity that they wanted to carve out. Um, But I was never against playing Texas. I always wanted that, to be a series that got renewed on an annual basis. Um, So while a lot of Aggies may have been against Texas coming to the SEC, not even because of like it negatively impacting us necessarily, but just, I think everyone, Texas and and OU included, viewed the big 12 as an inferior conference. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, why would you not want to keep your bitter rival in this inferior conference that, ultimately hinders their ability to recruit at the highest levels and win at the highest levels. Yeah. Um, so we would have loved for them to stay, but now that they're coming, absolutely. I think every single Aggie wants them on the schedule every single year. And, you know, it, and what better time with Jimbo here and the program he's built than to go in and, you know, now not only be able to I claim recruiting victories and you know just like the online bickering that goes on but actually be able to establish yourself on the field as the superior program in texas
4: mm-hmm. all right he's robert barons gotta follow him at rcb05 on the twitter for some elite longhorn trolling and some outstanding a&m coverage over at goodbullhunting.com robert i really appreciate you thanks for joining the show
6: absolutely man
4: gig him all right just want to say thanks again to robert for joining the show i hope everybody appreciated that interview give us some insight into the texas a&m aggies and man does he have some elite texas trolling on his feed as well so <laughs> if you're an aggie you're gonna love it if you're a texas hater you're gonna love his account go follow him on social media again at rbc05 that's gonna do it for today's episode of the pod Cousin Shane will be back on the next episode. We'll make our selections for the upcoming weekend, a loaded weekend here in the SEC. Nearly every team taking the field. Nearly every matchup is a conference matchup. So you take a look at those SEC standings right now. They are going to be all jumbled come Sunday morning because, uh, I mean, teams are going to be shooting up and down the standings here uh, once Saturday's action comes to a close. I cannot wait to see it. But that's going to do it on this episode. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. Get you on the next one.